And so Abraham is the spiritual father of all Christians. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. It says, therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are under or of the law, speaking of, of the Jewish folks or those who are under the law, but also to those who have faith, the faith of Abraham, he is the father of us all, writing this to all Christians. So Abraham is our faith father. So what does that mean? Abraham's faith example is, is our example. So how Abraham served God by faith is how we should serve Jesus by faith. So God called Abraham when he was 75 years young, 75 years old. And God's calling on this man's life at 75 years of age should remind us this. That, you know, you're never too old, you're never too young to be used by God. In fact, you can, you can put all these different um, self-imposed limitations on yourself and say, I'm not qualified to do this, or I'm not qualified to do that. And yet, when we look at Abraham, he's a perfect example of, of people who could just impose those limitations upon themselves, limitations that God does not place on us. So despite our shortcomings, God has a purpose he wants to accomplish through every one of our lives. No one here is has been born, has been created without a purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for everyone's life. So God's not looking for, for people to have everything all together and have, you know, we, we think in our mind, even though we hear that, we still don't, think, we think, well, God, God can use this person, he can use that person, but he'll never use me, and that's just not the truth. So they're usually self-imposed. What God's often looking for is availability. That's a key word, Availability. You know, you think, well, I'm just not qualified to do this or that. God's looking for availability. And sometimes we're just too busy for God. So when, when God calls Abraham, he's 75, and he's, of course, at, the name, at that time his name's Abram, and his, his wife Sarai, she's 65 years of age. They have no children. Uh, how do you start a kingdom? How do you start a nation through these two people? It's really not, when we look at it, uh, why would God do that? And we know this because God could get all the glory. And God didn't call Abraham or Abram and Sarai to, to serve in the prime of their life. Really, he calls them to serve in their twilight years. And God's calling our lives, again, doesn't necessarily happen when everything is so nice and tidy. If you're, if you're hoping to get things all nice and tidy so that God can use you or call you or whatever, you've got it all messed up. Often, God calls us in the midst of difficulty. And that's when he's looking for availability. So just remember that. Don't, don't try to think that you have to get yourself all nice and tidy. Just trust the Lord. Often in your mess is when God wants to step in and do something in your life. We're going to look at Rome, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. I know we read this last week. We kind of start off. Today's going to be a lot of verses, kind of a narrative style, so just hang with me. But uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, let's revisit the call of Abraham. It says, The Lord had said to Abraham, uh, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Of course, Abraham, leave your family, leave your home, leave your job, leave your friends, leave everything behind to a place that I will show you. Well, God, where are we going? Don't worry about it. I'll show you. Now, I don't know too many people that would, 
really want to leave in the, under those circumstances. I don't know about you, I would have inquired a little deeper. Where, where is, I'll show you. What direction are we going? Are we going north, south, east? At least give me some bearing, give me some idea. But Abraham just shows this amazing courage and this amazing faith. Again, 75 years of age, he doesn't question those things. He just, he begins just to trust the Lord. Abraham doesn't try to bargain with God, try to convince God, hey, why don't you fulfill those plans right here in Haran, right where my family lives? Abraham doesn't remind God that, you know what, I'm 75, my wife's 65, and she's barren. Now, how are you going to start it? Abraham goes beyond all that. He just trusts the Lord, takes God at his word, doesn't waver in his faith, just believes the word of God. Abraham obeys the Lord, which is really significant. I know I talked about this last week, just want to bring it up again this week. We think of Abraham, and he is our faith father, but at this time, he's a guy that serves other gods. He serves the gods of his father, household gods from Mesopotamia. Uh, Abraham hears God's call upon his life, calls him again out of his mess. Abraham didn't have it all together then, calls him away from other gods to serve him. Abraham shows this amazing faith at his age, leaving everything he knows, everyone he's ever known, to follow a God that no one in his family serves. So think about that. He's leaving not only his family and his friends and his business, but the gods that he served. It's truly an amazing story. And God leads Abraham to where Canaan, which would later become Israel. And there God blesses Abraham and his nephew Lot. Abraham and Lot, they prospered in the land so much that the land cannot contain them. They're, they're herdsmen, they have flocks, their flocks begin to flourish in the land where they're residing there in Canaan and whatever region they're at and becomes so numerous that their herdsmen starts to quarrel with each other. Abraham's herdsmen with lots and their family. This is his nephew. Of course, Abraham doesn't want any bad blood. So he's like, listen, this, the land can't sustain us both. You're going to have to go one direction. I'm going to have to go another direction. We're going to have to part ways here. Uh, God's blessed us. Thank God for that. But the land is just not big enough for the both of us. So I'll tell you what I, I'm going to do. And you just really see Abraham's trust and his heart here. He tells Lot, you know, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And Lot being the nephew, what's he do? He takes the better portion of the land for himself. But then, there again, I think probably Abraham knew this, but his trust was in the Lord, not in the land. So Lot chooses what seems to be better, moves his family and his herds near Sodom. And after Abraham separates himself from Lot, God speaks to Abraham. And I think... A lot of this has to do, if you remember, uh, Lot's father died when they were in Mesopotamia, in Ur. And if you, if you kind of follow the story of these two, you can kind of see where, where Abraham just kind of adopts Lot. Uh, Abraham leaves, Lot follows him. He's, he's his uncle, but he's a father figure. So here he is, separated from his people, separated from his friends, separated from everyone, now separated from Lot. And I, I'm imagining at that age, he's starting to feel a little lonely. So God, God speaks this. After Lot separates from Abram, this is what takes place. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, look around from where you are to the north and south and to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Lot was Abraham's nephew, but again, in many ways like his son, feeling lonely. And God reminds Abram of what the promise is, why you left. This is why you left. I just want to remind you, 
this is the blessing I want to bestow upon your life. Just trust me. It reminds him that his descendants one day will fill the land. Now, Abraham could look at his home and say, I have no descendants yet. So, okay, just a reminder. God's reminding Abram of the promises. In verse 18, this is how Abram responds. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. And I think that's significant. Abram heard God. Uh, interacted with God. God established this promise, and, and Abraham then in turn commemorates this by building an altar. And it's a good, good reminder to us that when we have these encounters with God, we should establish an altar in those places. Remember, I'm not talking about building a stone structure like they did in the Old Testament. I'm talking about this. When we have an encounter of God with God, we establish a place where we re-encounter God's presence, where we go back to God. So just, just the importance of prayer that you see established in Abraham's life. He's not just a guy who's walking around willy-nilly and just kind of going through things. No, God, he has interactions with God. And so church, we need to establish those places and revisit those places with the Lord. Instead of revisiting and establishing some of the places we do, we need to go to the presence of the Lord. Abraham doesn't argue or squabble with God about not having children at this point. Instead, Abraham continues to believe God. Believe God is going to deliver on his word. And church, in this situation, it's key. Whenever God gives you a promise, when you feel like there's a promise in scripture, uh, this often takes place. And this is something we all have to remind ourselves. God's timing and his ways are different from ours. So when God gives you a promise, especially if you're going through a trial or difficulty, I could be preaching this message and something will come off the, out of the word, and you'll, you'll feel like that's a promise from God. Stand on it. That's good. I want you to have faith. But remember this. God's ways of doing things is different than you. And then secondly, and most importantly, his timing is different than ours. We see time through a very narrow way. You know, we, we look at time mainly as life here on earth. God sees life through eternal eyes. God never told Abram when he would deliver those promises. In most situations, that's the way God interacts with us. He doesn't give us the timing. He just calls us to trust him. God's ways are different from ours. We have to remember that. God wants us to trust him. And even though the timing doesn't always seem convenient for us or to our liking, he calls us to trust him. Now, I'm not trying to be vulgar, but remember, at this point, Abram and Sarah they're advanced in age. They have to do what needs to be done to conceive a child. She's not just going to wake up one day and there's going to be a bun in the oven. So imagine this, the excitement they have to have at some point hearing God's, God's going to put a bun in that oven. And, and each month, there's no bun in the oven. And so the excitement is here, and then all of a sudden, how many months does it take before that hope starts to dwindle? God, you made this promise. We've left everything for you. We didn't even know you, didn't know you existed. You called us, you promised us, and, and now month after month, there is no child. I'm getting older, my wife's getting older. Where are your promises? And I wonder when or if God is ever going to give us a child. This, this had to be questions Abraham was processing. And as it is with most promises, God simply invites us to trust him. He doesn't say, you need to trust me from here till this day. He often doesn't do that. In most circumstances, it's not that way. Just trust me. Wait on me. So let's for skip forward now to chapter 15. And by this time, Abraham's starting to wonder. 
When is God going to deliver on this promise? Look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you could count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram reminds God that he's without an heir and he's still waiting on his promises. Abram goes so far to do this. I, God better remind you, if I die, the heir is Eliezer, my, my servant. And then God counters that and says, listen, you're going to have an heir from your own body. And, and Abram did something most of us do when we start getting impatient. We start reminding. How, how many of you have done this? And ladies, you may do this. Your husbands have promised to do something and they don't do it. And you kind of give them a nudge, kind of remind them, hey. You said you're going to do this. When, when is that going to happen? You know, just those subtle reminders, right? Same thing with Abram here. He does the same thing with God. Hey, God, what are you going to get around doing that promise thing? You know, if, if I die, my servant is going to inherit everything. So how does God respond? And God responds in an amazing way. God responds by then making a covenant with Abram. Now remember, Abram didn't go out looking for God. God found him. Abram didn't come to God wanting these promises to be fulfilled. You fulfill these promises, then I'll serve you. No, God comes to Abram, gives him all these promises. Do what I said, I'll bless you. And now Abram begins to wonder, when is this going to take place? God says, tell you what, I'm going to make you a contract now. It's not just a verbal agreement. It's going to be a written contract, so to speak. That's what a covenant is. God initiates a covenant with Abram, and all Abram has to do is just walk by faith, not by sight. That's all you got to do. God's going to hold up everything else himself. Now, we don't know how much time elapses between when God makes this covenant with Abram and then the next chapter, chapter 16. It doesn't tell us the time in between, but time does take place. Something happens between those two chapters, church. You know, I'm always amazed. I want to know what's the story between the two chapters. And this is one of those, those places between chapter 15 and 16 of Genesis. After years of trying to have children... Sarai comes up with a solution or conclusion that she's, she's not going to bear children, but God said Abraham would. Abram would have children, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to have children. So this in their mind, this is the, the solution. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to Sarai, to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for, now here we know how long it's been, 10 years. 10 years since God gave the promise. Sarai, his wife, took the Egyptian, her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. What could go wrong with this plan? What could go wrong with this plan? 
I mean, this, this sounds great. I mean, this is something from the old Jerry Springer show, right? So while it seems odd to us, believe it or not, it wasn't so odd in those days. It wasn't an abnormal arrangement that they took part of here. The maidservant belonged to Sarai. Any children born to that maidservant belonged to Sarai. So this wasn't abnormal practice by the world's standards. However, it, what's acceptable in the world's eyes, church, isn't always acceptable in God's eyes. God had other plans. This wasn't the plan he intended. While God did not specifically tell Abram that he could bear children through another woman, he never said to bear children through another woman. So just because God says you can't doesn't mean you can. Do you follow that? We often like to read between the lines. God knows the intentions of Abraham and Sarai. He, he allows them to make this choice. He knows the choice is bad. He knows the choice isn't his choice, but he allows this all to take place. God knows the intentions, and he, and he allows them to make this choice, and they will regret this choice. Abraham didn't walk by faith in this situation. What's he doing? He's walking by sight. Church, this is where we get into trouble. We try to help God fulfill his plans and purposes, especially when we become weary or impatient, and that never turns out good. We do something we seem that seems to be good. This is a good idea. This is a very practical idea. So if it's good and it's practical and it works, then God's going to bless us, and he's going to use this for his glory. But that's not how God works in this situation, and that's not how God works in our situations. So we have to discern God's will. Make sure it's not our plans, because this is often what happens when it comes to the plans and purposes of God. We are trying to figure out what the details are. And when we can't figure out what the details are, we, we fill in those blanks. And then once we fill in the blanks, we step back and we say, that's a masterpiece. This is a great idea. This must be God. This all fits together. It's perfect. And then you go through and you execute the plan and you find out that wasn't the plan. It looked good back here. Why is it not so good now? And I've seen this play out through my ministry career. People come up with a good idea, practical plan, convince themselves that it's God's plan because it's good. And if it's good, it must be God. Church, just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. If it isn't God's plan, it's their plan. If it's not God's plan, it's our plan. And later, this couple will regret a good plan and wish they had remained patient and waited for God's plan. Patience is a virtue. Patience is a spiritual fruit. Patience is required if we're going to walk by faith, and patience is required if you're going to endure by faith. Trusting God and in his promises in difficult seasons, situations, it's difficult. It's not easy. I know we want to get the cart before the horse, but we have to remain steadfast, and obstacles are going to come our way, trials are going to come our way, but we have to remain steadfast to God's promises. There are times in life when we get ourselves into these situations, again, we, we we fill in the blanks, we make a good decision, we think, a practical decision, but it turns out to be an Ishmael situation in our life. A good plan doesn't equal a good plan in the eyes of God. It could be good again, but it may not be God. Immediately after Hagar bears Ishmael, things go south. Sarai realizes that having a child through her maidservant may have not been a good idea. 
In fact, we read about that in Genesis chapter 16, verse 4. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now, why wouldn't jealousy set in? This lady can't get in a bun in the oven for years, and this lady shows up, and boom, there's one in the oven. I mean, again, this is not a good idea, and why they thought it would be a great idea, it would all work out so harmoniously, is beyond me. It didn't work then, by the way, and it won't work now. So what did Abram, Sarah, Sarai, and Hagar expect? Abram slept with his wife's servant, and she bears a child. And there's all this animosity from the very beginning. And while Hagar is pregnant, Sarai feels like Hagar is basically rubbing it in her face. So the trouble begins to brew. Hagar runs away to escape all the drama. And the angel of the Lord finds Hagar and tells her to go back, submit to her master. And Hagar obeys the angel of the Lord. There's a conversation they have. We're going to revisit that at the very end. But now we're going to skip ahead. So she's pregnant. She runs away. She wants to get away from all the drama. The angel of the Lord finds her and says, you need to go back. I'll take care of you. Trust me. And she does so. So we're going to go to verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. When Ishmael was born, 11 years have passed since God had made that original promise. Abraham now has an heir, a son through whom God could establish all his promises. What Abraham and Sarai don't know at this point, and this is something you have to remember when you read this story. Often we read ahead, we know the story. They don't know they've upset God. They don't know that they've displeased God at this point. In fact, they think God has blessed them by giving them a son. They believe that God's hand is upon the situation. That if it wasn't, they wouldn't have been successful. In their minds, they're believing they've done the right thing and God is going to bless them and honor them. Let's skip over two chapters now. Chapter 18. So we're in chapter 16. Let's go to chapter 18. This is the story now. Then the Lord appeared to him, to Abram, and by this name, is Abra his name's Abraham. The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent a door in the heat of the day, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts after that, you may pass by. Inasmuch as you have come to your servant, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. Cake sounds good right now. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. He stood by under the tree as they ate. And when they had said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. Now God knows Sarah's in the tent. And don't you love that when you find these interactions with God? God asks questions that he already knows. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah 
<laughs> Don't you like how, how purposeful God is in this? Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, have I, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely shall I surely, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? And here's a question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, God gets very specific here. He's going to tell him within a year, she's going to have a bun in the oven. So Abraham and Sarah realize now we have a problem. This is where they realize they have a problem. Up until this point, they thought they were fulfilling God's plan. The plan we had was good. It worked. Abraham's now 99, we know, because in a year he becomes 100 when Isaac is born. Sarah is 89, we know this, because she is 90 when she bears Isaac. Abraham thought they had done the right thing. They'd waited 11 years. That was long enough for them. They had a good plan. Hagar conceived, bore a son. If it wasn't right, then why would God allow the son to be conceived? Why would she have a child that would be his heir? And again, just because God allows something to occur... You all need to hear this. Everyone's need to be reminded of this. Just because God allows something to occur doesn't mean it was his will. We live in a fallen world. In this world, we'll do certain things that doesn't agree with the will of God, but God allows certain things to happen. That's a whole other message. God never told Abram to make the choices that he made. Abraham had a son, thought it was God's seal of approval, but it wasn't. Abraham knew the promise of God, but he didn't inquire as the Lord, as he should have, as it pertains to Ishmael. God, what do I do in this situation? Here, 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 are the, here are the facts. Here are the options. God, what should I do in this situation? He doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't inquire of the Lord at all. He listens to his wife. Now listen, men, that doesn't mean your wife's always going to get into trouble. But in this situation, it didn't help. Now, what do I do in this situation? Do I wait, God? Do I move on? Do I take this opportunity? God, what's your plan? God, do I go this route? It seems good. It seems practical. It will produce the desired results. If I choose this plan, is it okay? He doesn't go into any of that. See, when God seems to delay his promises, and there seems to be an open door, and it seems to be obvious that it's open to us, we often take it, don't we? Just because the door is open doesn't mean that God opened it for you, though. Hear me, church, an open door doesn't always mean that God opened that door. How many times have you went through an open door and realized, uh-oh, that wasn't the right door? What was the show? Let's make a deal, right? Door number one, door number two, door, no door number two, take door number two. I would always say that it's like, oh, there's a donkey behind door number two. Every time I pick a door, there's a donkey. Remember there was always some lame gift behind the door? Some of you don't even know what we're talking about. That's when TV was good. God visits Abraham, Sarah, and Sarah questions this thought about being pregnant. I'm going to be an old lady. How can this be? And God says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Listen, what you did was easy. What I'm going to do is hard, but is there anything too hard for me? You thought it was a good idea to conceive a child through your maidservant. 
but you didn't think it was possible for me. You thought it was impossible for me to enable you to have your own child. And that's exactly what it comes down to. They didn't believe that God was able to allow Sarah to conceive. God could create the heavens and the earth by his word. Just speak them into existence. But what's so difficult, difficult about an 89-year-old woman being pregnant? For 13 years, Abraham and Sarah thought they had done the right thing. 13 years passed between Ishmael and Isaac. 13 years they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were doing what God was going to bless and use this to fulfill his plans and purposes, only to find out this decision didn't honor God one bit. Now that would be a hard pill to swallow, wouldn't it? After 13 years of doing something, you feel like this is the right thing to find out it wasn't the right thing. Sarah and Abraham put their confidence in their flesh. They thought it was too difficult for Hagar or Sarah to conceive. That's why they decided Hagar is an easier option. She's, she's a fleshly decision. Ishmael is a result of the flesh. He's not of the spirit, not of the promise. When you look at it through the New Testament later, that's exactly the, the, the way that the New Testament writers put it into spiritual terms. Ishmael is of the flesh. Isaac is of the spirit or of the promise. Later, when Sarah conceived, she bears a son, age 90. They named him, of course, Isaac. And at this point, Hagar and Ishmael feel like yesterday's news. And they should feel like yesterday's news because that's exactly what they are. There's bad blood between them all. Sarah says, you know, we need to get rid of her and her son. Of course, Abraham, he's, he's torn for 14 years. This has been his son. This has been his promise. This has been his pride and joy. But this is how God responds to this dilemma these people created. And it's surprising. When you really read this, it's surprising. In fact, if this would happen in the world's terms, or the world today, we would find this very cruel. This is how God responds to Abram. Abraham. excuse me. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, Listen to her, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now, obviously, God, last time I listened to her, we got into trouble. Now you want me to listen to her now? He doesn't go through all that. So God sides with Sarah this time. You need to get rid of the woman and her son. Man, that sounds insensitive. God says to Abraham, that, that Ishmael isn't the one whom the promises will be delivered. This isn't the son through the whom that's going to be delivered. God agrees. They have to leave. You know why? Because they'll get in the way. The outcome of the flesh will always try to corrupt the promises of God. The outcome of the flesh will always work against faith. The outcome of the flesh will always corrupt the promises of faith. God cares for Hagar. He doesn't just throw, he doesn't say, Abraham, throw him out there and forget about him. No, God takes care of them. Ishmael becomes a mighty nation of people. But God's kingdom would never be established through Ishmael because he is of the flesh. And there are some long-lasting effects to this solution they brought, this practical idea, this good idea that Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar had, this great idea, this great plan. It has an impact on our world today. When, Abra when Hagar became pregnant, she ran away from the Lord, or ran away from Sarah, the angel of the Lord found her and gave her this prophetic word. And this is exactly what the Lord said. When Hagar ran away, she's in the desert, the angel of the Lord visits her, this is the prophecy that he gives her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. The Lord has heard your misery. 
Now look at this. Verse 12 is very important. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. The prophet Muhammad, who founded Islam, declared himself a descendant of Abraham through Ishmael. Many of the names that you find in the Bible, especially it says that this person became a nation and these people, the lands, those ancient lands which we know about through history, were named after these very people. Ishmael, his descendants settled in the Arabian Peninsula. So we're talking about Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, and United Arab Emirates. But the Arab people, the Arabian Peninsula people, are descendants of Ishmael. So these people are half-brothers to the Jewish people. And for centuries, they have been at odds with each other. And sometimes we make decisions that seem good in our eyes, but later we find out that it wasn't a good idea, a God idea. Some of you are facing decisions that you can't, you've you, you got to make a good decision. It needs to be not a good decision, it needs to be a God decision. And if that's you, if you're in a place where, you know what, I don't want to end up with an Ishmael in my life where it continues to affect my life, my descendants, and you know, you know we don't want that. We want a, a God decision, not a good decision. First of all, what do we need to do? First and foremost, we need to discern God's plan and purposes through humility. If you humble yourself, it is so important. Because if you don't humble yourself, you're going to end up turning, twisting, and making God say what you want him to say. But when you take that place of humility, God will bless you. But if you take that place of pride, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to work this to where God says what I want him to say. God will resist that. God gives grace to the humble, and that's so important. A humble heart is sensitive to the voice and the direction of the Holy Spirit. A God decision requires faith. So when God gives you a solution or an answer, you have to re it requires faith, and faith is commitment. To believe in the trust God, no matter what the circumstances are. Just as Abraham should have just said, you know what? You're my wife. God has promised me a child. We are just going to have to continue to do what we need to do until that happens. But listen, it requires commitment and diligence. God's decisions requires patience because without patience, we will turn to the flesh, every one of us. We will rely on ourselves, rely on the wisdom of the world because we become impatient. A God decision requires discernment. And church, discernment is not real hard to come by. Number one, discern through prayer. Number two, discern through the word. Number three, discern through godly counsel and put them all together when you, before you make the decision. Well, God gave me a word that if I don't follow him on the word, then I'm disobeying him. No, you're not. If God gives you a word of prayer, you want to confirm it with the word, you're doing something that's biblical. And then if you're still not sure, you find some godly counsel, someone who, who's not going to side with you necessarily because of your situation, but someone you know and trust who has a relationship with Jesus, who, who is godly and has some wisdom, and they hear you and they can confirm for you. There's nothing wrong with that. If Abram would have done this, he would have been out of trouble. We would have came to this point, hey, buddy, that's not a good plan. She's your wife, not this lady here. This, this, is, this is like Jerry Springer stuff. This is not going to work out. So we must have a willingness to say, God, you have your way in this situation. I'd rather follow your plans and create an Ishmael in my life. Lord, again, not my will, but yours be done.
Some of you have your own Ishbels in your life. You've had decisions that you made that are still affecting you today. You made them years ago. And here's what happens. I don't want you to feel like uh, I made a bad decision. This decision keeps haunting me. There's, there's this, there's that. God can still use you. Even though Abraham had Ishmael or in Sarah, the whole situation with Hagar, God still uses the Jewish people. God still uses Abraham. God still uses Sarah. They made a bad decision. God still uses them. It just complicates things. So listen, decisions have been made. Things have been done. You can't go back and erase them. But you can move forward with God. And God will still use you. Don't think, I mean, I made an Ishmael decision. I'm just paying for it to this day. And you know what? It may still be a thorn in your rear end for years. But it doesn't mean that God can't use you. Or your situation. You can have an Ishmael situation in your life, still fulfill God's plans and purposes. But sometimes those Ishmael situations can make it difficult. So hopefully today, if you're in a decision-making place, let's not make it difficult for your future. Let's just wait on the Lord. Trust in Him. Amen?